Hello and welcome to the Supercast. I'm your host, Superintendent Anthony Godfrey. From testing the strength of cardboard to the science of discovering the best baseball bat, students hit it out of the park with their experiments at the East Lake Science Fair. On this episode of the Supercast, we take you inside the Science Fair to have some fun with fifth graders who take their problem-solving projects very seriously. Okay, we're here with JP in his Yankees uniform telling us about aluminum versus wood bats in his science project. Uh, Tell me, let's jump right into it. So this is aluminum versus wood baseball bats, and the reason why I did this project is because I would like, I'm on a very competitive baseball team, so I'd like to know which bat hits the furthest, so then I can have the most chances of hitting a home run every time I get up the bat. Okay. So, my research was that this, the metal bat is the, um, isn't allowed to be used in the MLB because they think that they'll hit it over too much. Ah. This is the metal bat, I mean the maple bat, and they think that the, it's a perfect bat for the MLB, like not too good that they'll hit it over every time, but not too bad that they won't. Oh, so, so, so they actually want the maple bat so that they can't hit it quite as far. So, yes. They want it to be good enough, but not too good. Yes, yes, right. exactly. And this is the maple ash bat that um, it won't hit as, it's, it takes a lot of strength to hit it over with the ash bat. Uh, and this they, is the ash bat? Yes, and they found that this is the one that um, the MLB used to use, like Babe Ruth used to use an ash bat and stuff, so. Wow. I found, so my hypothesis was that the metal bat was the furthest, the maple bat was the second furthest, and that the ash was the third furthest. Now, as you can tell from my graph, that um, my hypothesis was correct, that the um, metal bat will hit the furthest, the maple bat the second furthest, and the ash bat the furthest. And now, then, now, now, you obviously uh, know your baseball history. Why do you think Babe Ruth used an ashwood bat? Well, because they didn't know about the maple bat back then. Oh. So I think that they used the maple bat, I mean the ash bat, because they, so, and they didn't know about the maple bat. So they're like, well, let's just get any wood that we see and let's just turn it into a bat so then they can hit with. I see. Now, are you allowed to use ash if you wanted to? Yes. In the MLB, you are allowed to use ash, but you're not allowed to use the metal. Are you allowed to use metal in your league? Oh, yeah. And so you do use the metal? I do use the metal, yes. Okay. Very good. So, in conclusion, I found that the, um, uh, the metal bat is the most dense and that it hits the furthest and because it's the furthest furthest it the bat speed is very um good and it will hit the ball for and so mm. um yeah now i'm looking at the graphic here the map of where each ball landed on the baseball field yes did you hit all of these balls that I you recorded did. yes i did and we graphed them out and we had a radar gun to measure how fast the ball went. So. A radar gun? Oh, yeah. Where did you get a radar gun? Do you just have that regularly yeah. to measure the pitches well, and that yeah, sort of so thing? Yeah, so what we do, sometimes when we ba- when we have a baseball practice, we like to um, see how fast we can throw. So me, me and my friends, we're just like being um, dumb, and we're just like measuring, before practice starts, we're measuring how fast we can throw the ball yeah, to each other. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that America's national pastime is alive and well in the youth of today. It looks like you had more fun than anyone else doing your experiment. Oh, I had so much fun. It was a blast. <laughs> well, this is an exciting project, and I think it's going to serve you well. Obviously, you have great things ahead of you when it comes to baseball, but you're an outstanding scientist as well. We're here with Maximus looking at his science fair project. 
How strong is cardboard? Maximus, tell me, how strong is cardboard? Uh, well, it depends what kind of cardboard you're talking about. All right. So there's chipboard and corrugated. Corrugated it could hold uh, 29 pounds per square inch. And how does it do that? Uh, how does it do it? Yeah. Well, it's only three pieces of paper, and then the middle piece of paper is flutes. The flutes? I yeah. had no idea that they were called flutes. Yeah, and there are five different types of flutes. A flute, B flute, C flute, E flute, and F flute. Why is there no D flute? Um, I don't know. Maybe D flute used to exist, but there was a scandal. Do you think that could have happened? I think there is a D flute, but uh, they don't use it as much anymore. I see. So there was a scandal. Yeah. All right. So tell me... Um, what was it that got you interested in cardboard? Uh, Does your mom order a lot from Amazon Prime, and so you thought, I need to understand these boxes better? No, I wanted to start, uh, well, I needed a strong material that could also be quite bendable. Okay. And so I chose cardboard, and I've actually made a bridge out of it at home. You made a bridge at home? Yeah, a mini bridge out and, of small and pieces. And where of does cardboard. this bridge lead to? Uh, it's just sitting all around. You open up the wardrobe and there's a cardboard bridge to another world? No. Oh, okay. Uh, so, is your cardboard bridge still intact? Is yes. it still looking good? So, tell me about, you've got a piece of uh, a cereal box here. And then you've got the flutes. Oh, okay, I see. You're showing what makes the corrugated cardboard strong. Okay, now look. The strength certificates. You have these strength certificates mounted. I always see writing on the cardboard box, but I haven't been curious enough to check it out and see what it's all about. Tell me about those strength certificates. So uh, the strength certificate is uh, how well this, and it's telling you how much size limit it could get to. It tells you how long it is, big it is, um, and it tells you how much weight it could hold, 65 pounds. What is the conclusion then? The conclusion is that um, I'm glad that I did it because it was really fun, but also that I know I can definitely build with cardboard. Yeah. And uh, the conclusion, well, more of the conclusion, is that um, strength of cardboard is really cool and really strong. So are you, are you looking for, uh, uh, so do you like to work with cardboard? You yeah. made a bridge. Yeah. What's your next project? Um, my next project, it's probably going to be like a Lego-sized house. Oh, wow. So where do you get your cardboard? Uh, Amazon. Oh, you buy it? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you're serious about your cardboard. Yeah. As if I didn't know before, now I really know. So do you think that your study of cardboard has made you think about a job maybe in engineering? I mean, you're already building bridges. Yeah. Whenever I was like five years old, I wanted to be an engineer. Okay. Well, I think you are well on your way, Maximus. It's great talking to you. It's great talking with you, too. Good job. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll talk with some of the teachers who made the science fair possible. Are you looking for a job right now? Looking to work in a fun and supportive environment with great pay and a rewarding career? Jordan School District is hiring. We're currently filling full and part-time positions. 
You can work and make a difference in young lives and education as a classroom assistant or a substitute teacher. Apply to work in one of our school cafeterias where our lunch staff serves up big smiles with great food every day. We're also looking to hire custodians and bus drivers. In Jordan School District, we like to say, people come for the job and enjoy the adventure. Apply today at workatjordan.org. We're here at East Lake Elementary at the fifth grade science fair, and I'm with Jess Snyder taking a look at her what is the best type of fabric for artists to wear science project. So tell me, tell me about this. So I chose this because I love painting and drawing, and usually when I draw, my clothes get dirty. So I wanted to see what's the best fabric for artists to wear. So um, I when I did my research, I learned about four types of fabric: cotton, polyester polyurethane and wool. Cotton and polyester are similar, but both freezable, durable, and can be stain resistant. Um, polyurethane is stain resistant, durable, and waterproof, but not that breathable, so it's usually mixed with materials like cotton or polyester. The first one I learned about was wool. Wool is usually hard to find, expensive, and it usually needs to be dry cleaned, and artists need something that's easy to find and easy to wash. So I didn't put that there. This is a very practical approach for an artist. Do you think you're more artist or more scientist? Kind of a mix of both. A mix of both, okay. Well, that's a really good mix because you don't always find that combination. How many hours do you think you spent on this project? Like a month or two. A month, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, when we first started it, um, I actually, we went to Walmart, but I actually had some struggle finding it. So my mom went to another store and she found these fabrics and it was, so then we actually started doing it. Um, my research was pretty easy typing it up and writing it down. So I think the part that I moved the fastest on was doing the project itself and the typing. Okay, well this is really impressive and so do you have an outfit picked out now that you can wear when you're doing art? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. and what color is it? Um, it would probably be white, because according to my research, it is best for artists to wear white fabric, because bleach is white, so if they had to like, use bleach on it, it wouldn't really show anything. You have really thought things through. I wish I had more time. I have some other problems for you to solve, oh, yeah. but I better keep going. It's yeah. been a delight talking with you. Thank you. And uh, you have big things in your future, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Jess. All right, Carter, it looks like you studied the greenhouse effect for your science project. Tell me about it. So, for the greenhouse effect, first I needed to learn what the greenhouse effect is, and the greenhouse effect is the transfer of heat between the sun and the earth. So, the, the sun beams down heat, and the earth absorbs it, and then at night it releases some of the heat into the atmosphere, which gets caught by the carbon dioxide, which creates heat. And without this greenhouse effect, we wouldn't survive. So is there something that you learned in studying the greenhouse effect that surprised you? Um, so I was trying different surface materials to see if that affected it. And it seemed like sand um, got very affected because this line right here is the cover box which represents the greenhouse effect. This one right here represents the uncovered box which is the normal air. And it got hotter than the, green, the greenhouse one. So, 
I was surprised by that because I thought it would just always stay under. So tell me about the box. What did you set up and, and what was involved in your experiment? So three materials, rock, soil, and sand. Okay. And, and I can see pictures of the box here. So what did you do with it there? So we filled it up with about one inch of sand or soil or um, sand, rock. And then we put a thermometer in each box. And then we covered one box with plastic wrap and faced them towards the sun. So once we did that, every 15 minutes for an hour, we went out to check if there was a temperature difference between the boxes. And what did you find? Um, that the covered box was almost always hotter than the um, uncovered box, which represented the normal air. Oh, so trapping things in and allowing the heat in but not allowing it to escape, you were able to replicate that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this is very impressive. This is a complex topic that everyone's heard of, but not a lot of us understand. So you understand it at a deep level. That's very impressive. Thanks. Looks great. We're here with Campbell. Campbell, describe to me what is your science project today. So my science project was do store-bought UV lights kill bacteria, which is this one right here. Oh yeah, I've seen those products. So those are the ones that are designed to kill bacteria, right? Yeah. And you're going to tell me if they work or not. Yeah. Okay. So how I did it is I got a bunch of these like dish things. Oh and wait, then okay, toilet handle, computer keyboard, light switch, belt, and iPhone. Wow, you picked the germ centers of my world. Alright, let's find out. So I did two of each of their surfaces. A a and B, A is with UV, I mean without UV light, and B is with UV light. So how I would do it is I would first make the agar mix with the water, and then I would put it in the dish uh, five times, and then I would uh, grab uh, the swab, like a COVID swab, because they are completely sterilized, don't have any bacteria on it, so you can know if that's, make sure that's the bacteria. So I would do something like this or any of those surfaces and then I'd put it on that, on the, that one and then I would use the UV light for a minute and then I would do it and see if it worked. And one is bacteria and zero is no bacteria, which means that it all, I saw bacteria on all of them, which means that it was, it didn't work. Looking at the graphic, I can see that everything is exactly the same whether you use the UV light or not. Yeah. It looks like it had zero impact. Well, you know, I guess the only impact it would have is to make you feel better even though you shouldn't feel better because yeah. not one bit of bacteria was killed. So, my hypothesis was it wouldn't work because hospitals buy them for like uh, 60 to 130 grand. So I was like, why would these ones work if hospitals have to buy them for that much? Boy, I'm, I'm super impressed at the way you had this set up. It looks great, and I actually thought about buying one of those before. So now you just saved me some money. Thanks a lot, Campbell. We're here with the fifth grade team at Eastlake Elementary. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the science fair. I am Michelle Vernou, and the best part about the science fair for me is being able to see the kids not only use the scientific method but use their creativity and being able to explore ideas that they have and explore um, things that are interesting to them. When, so, when I talked with those students, they, they, there were some that were really personal to them. Yes. I'm an artist, I want to study mm -hmm. 
what material I ought to wear. I'm a baseball player. So they're all connected to their projects in one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they get to really explore those interests in uh, academic ways that they may not have been able to think through before, but through the scientific method they now have steps to go, this is how I can do this. This is how I can create. This is how I can um, find solutions. They're better thinkers. Yeah. I'm Sammy Sutherland, fifth grade DLI. Um, I second what Michelle said. I really liked that they picked things that they were interested in. Like I really liked the one where she really liked dance and she picked how she could be a better dancer by seeing what things help her. I know that they all had a really good time doing it and they really, I was just really proud of them for all the hard work that they put in it because they didn't have to do it and they did. So they did really good. I'm Thomas Boulay, the DLI Chinese teacher. Um, I thought it was really great to see all of the fun projects that the kids did. Uh, even though we made it optional in our class because we have less time with the DLI schedule, the kids who did it still had great projects and they really it seems like they really enjoyed making them. My name is Jennifer Burr and I loved this whole process. For the past month, students have been coming to me, telling me about their projects um, and sharing their enthusiasm. And it was fun to also have students who proposed their hypothesis and then their hypothesis didn't turn out the way they thought. <laughs> and then they had to think through um, why that didn't work or um, if they were going to retest it, what they would do different. But the great part is their enthusiasm and their ownership for the project and really, like Mrs. Bernou said, understanding the scientific process because I think this is really the first time that they've walked through it themselves or with the support of their parents. And then also I love the science projects where they included their whole family, that the family were test subjects and oh, yeah. <laughs> really um, helped uh, support them. And so awesome that so many people came today to um, cheer their great efforts. Thank you, Superintendent, for coming. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. My pleasure to come. And, and it's interesting that, uh, it's like you said, family was obviously involved in all of this. It's the type of project and the type of learning that connects uh, parents and kids and, and siblings and perhaps even pets as pet subjects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to add that one of the fascinating parts about this whole process is seeing kids get excited about science. Yeah. And, you know, today's world, science sometimes gets, you know, um, discouraging because it's hard. Right. Math is hard. Science is hard. The STEM. And to see these kids get excited about science and say, I can have a part in science. And then also to see, um, you know, I'm going to represent the female, you know, also just being able to say that these girls can say, I can have a place in science. It's very exciting to me as well. Oh, absolutely. And let me ask you this. When you started the science fair projects and, and, uh, started to talk about topics, did you see uh, a light bulb go on or a fire light in some kids that maybe otherwise had kind of uh, not felt that level of enthusiasm for school lately? Oh, definitely, because it's their own project. It's uh, what is interesting to them, and they could really take ownership in, in what they wanted to pursue. That you took this on. I'm proud of the work you and the kids have done here, and I'm excited to see it in the future. Keep inviting me, please. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Supercast. 
Remember, education is the most important thing you'll do today. We'll see you out there.